0: listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, nutrient management lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So today on Soil Talk, we're gonna talk a little bit about precision ag and grid sampling specifically. So today as my guest, I've got Jason Cook, our ACS mapping specialist, and Jason has spent a long time on the precision ag side done a, a lot of work with cva really kind of been there all the way through the start of precision ag here at central valley ag so jason's we you know we're seeing a crop out there that's maturing the beans are starting to turn for us we've got uh, corn that's uh, well past dent you know moving toward maturity we kind of move our thinking here now to uh to grid sampling and to figuring out what's going on in the soil so talk a little bit about your mindset with grid sampling and how that tool has got value for us
1: well tim i guess first thanks um, I don't know if that's good or bad with 25 years, 20 years of experience within the precision ag community, but gives you a good perspective of where we've been, but still how it all comes right back to the basics. And, you know, precision ag, we look at a lot of things, but that basic building block is still a, a solid, solid grid sample. Um, you know, that reveals so much stuff to us and you know probably the best time to take it's in the fall right after that combine the farmer kind of remembers some of the patterns he saw out there with his yield monitor and his yield maps and then just kind of sets us up to to have a successful fall and a spring really
0: you know we've talked about this over the years jason as you go across that field, it amazes guys at how much variation there is out there when you start pulling those samples. And it's not just grids. I mean, you can pull a sample 25 feet away and a lot of times you get some pretty different numbers. In your opinion, you know, what nutrients or, or field attributes are kind of the real important ones that you go after as you go grid sampling? What, what do you look at first?
1: Um, you know, first you're talking about, you know, how a grid sample reveals a lot of stuff and we've got a lot of a lot of fields out here that look like square quarters that really aren't Um, they've been developed they've been um, one of the one of the unique things i always used to like about um, being around memorial day is you're kind of the only place open when you're in a small town and somebody's always trying to find a cemetery or something like that you know to that they're a great-grandpa or something. And we had a quarter that I knew was looked like a quarter, and actually we talked to somebody, and they were asking about it, and there was actually four farmsteads on that quarter at one time. And it did reveal itself then when we did grid sample it. You talk about nutrients. One of the main nutrients was phosphorus. And we found little pockets of phosphorus out there because each one of them had some had some uh, livestock on it so that's probably one of the major ones you start seeing is just how the how it starts showing the history of that farm even though it we can't see the history anymore yeah i've seen the same thing you know we've picked up ground on our own farm where uh
0: 50 years ago it had a uh homestead and livestock, some cattle, some pigs, some chickens, and, and you know how small those manure spreaders used to be, if you used them at all, sometimes the pitchfork and maybe a little trailer was your manure spreader. And that stayed around forever, and there was so much opportunity to save fertilizer dollars there and move that fertilizer that you were going to apply in a flat rate into an area that needed it so much better, maybe a, a better yielding area out in the middle of that quarter that didn't have livestock on it. So I agree completely. Um, phosphorus was a key where you would see you know, a field average of 15 part per
1: million, then all of a sudden here would be an area that's 100. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, that was so, so obvious that we used to see that and still see it all the time. I mean, and hey, I was as guilty as anybody. I wasn't going to drive an uncab tractor out in the middle of the field when it was cold. I'd stay close to where it was at because you're supposed to get back and get the job done. Absolutely. So that's what you did. Yep. So the other one I think of
0: a lot too is we think about grid sampling. So phosphorus really stands out, a lot of variation in the field, a lot of impact from old livestock operations. You know, you talked about, you know, we got this big square quarter well a lot of those when equipment was smaller were managed in 20 and 40 acre pieces not in 160 or 300 acre pieces so you get old fence lines you get all kinds of stuff as you go out there and just take the time with your four-wheeler to go out there and drive across the ground pull the samples pay a little attention to what's going on around you while you're doing it and there's just all kinds of things you see out there
1: exactly i mean that's exactly right you 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 talk about your, your funny farm stories and where our family farm is. We've literally between dad and I have moved rock piles three times because we always put them in the fence line and we go and develop another, another piece because we got a pivot or another, you know, somewhere else. Cause we decided to develop it. And here we find a little rock pile and each one of us say, yeah, we put that rock pile there because that was the fence line before. And, now you don't even see it was a fence line. Yeah. So Go get the pickup. we got to move it again. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Have to move how many rocks? We've moved rocks how many times? So, yeah, I mean, it just starts to reveal itself. And, and it just the grid sample is just such a, a good place to start. And then even especially on the pH side, too. I agree.
0: When you start liming, when you lime off of composite samples, you're really doing yourself a disfavor because when you throw lime down in an area that's already got a pH of 6.5, because most of the time when we're liming, we're trying to bring things back up to around a 6.5, and then we'll let the acidity that we add with nitrogen, you know, pull it back down. And you know, everybody's a little different on where they pull their trigger at, but a lot of times I'm around a pH of six, I'm going to want to pull the trigger. Certainly, as I get into the fives, I want to pull that trigger and make a lime application. But as you're thinking through making a lime application and you, and you just pull a composite sample and it tells you you got a 5.8, I just about guarantee you there's areas in that field that are over 6.5 that don't need any lime and you got other areas that are sitting at 5.2 and they need double the amount of lime that you think you need across that whole field.
1: Exactly right. That, that's the one thing, you know, and it just reveals itself so plain as day. On those spots typically those are spots the farmer has had struggles with trying to either get a crop to to produce in those spots uh, weed control as we go back more to uh, pre emerge weed control again that's a spot where pH would really really start to show itself so we we need to get back to looking at those pHs making sure we can manage both the high and the low pH you know we've got some different, Ways to manage high pH too, whether that be with varieties or hybrids or using certain other soil amendments. Um, so, that's the first thing to spend that dollar on is that pH, because if you don't have that correct, you you just can't you can't spend any more money wisely, basically. Yeah.
0: So you know, growing up in Southwest Iowa, we've got a lot of limestone roads and that's something i'm kind of used to is once i started grid sampling i started seeing these areas that are maybe you know uh, 50 100 yards wide where you've got great ph i mean the fields averaging like a 5 5 it really needs to be lime you know maybe it's ground that we picked up that you know has been rented for a long time and nobody wanted to make the investment in lime but you go next to the gravel road especially On the it'd be the north side of a gravel road with the south summer prevailing winds, and they just blow a ton of limestone uh, gravel dust up over that field. And there's an area; it's a it's a good couple of passes of the spreader. You don't need to apply anything. And those are the kind of things that you find grid sampling that you don't know about otherwise. You know, Jason, one of the problems I always have when when I'm working with growers. And, and, you know, they're just kind of used to always doing the same thing, and they're used to, to doing a composite sample and making a flat-rate uh, fertilizer wreck. And, and a lot of times, you know, they, they're, these are guys trying to chase yield, and they've done a good job of, you know, putting down decent amounts, but, but they're just not quite willing to, to spend the money. You know, maybe it's 8 nine, ten $9, $10 an acre for grid sampling. They're just not quite w- willing to pull the trigger and spend the money on grid sampling. How do you approach it with them?
1: You know, the, the first thing you approach with is is I've got to know something about your field. You know, you, you touched on it right there. We kind of have, you know, in Nebraska, we have, you know, with our pivots, you know, we're not as lucky as you people over in Iowa, and we kind of see the exact opposite thing. Um, a lot of times grid sampling reveals that we've got some really, really tough pHs in the dryland corners because our pivots are pumping some calcium through the water. So it kind of helps bring it up a little bit. And so, you know, we still got to get the dryland corners to produce too. So that's one of the things that, you know, another that it kind of reveals itself. And it just kind of goes to that whole that whole concept of if you go into a doctor and you say, hey, I hurt, and the doctor says, okay, let's set your arm, put your arm in a cast, and you look at him and you say, uh, but it's actually my leg that hurts. And you kind of look at that doctor and say, well, wouldn't you ask a few questions before you decide you're going to, you know, going to try setting my, my arm, you know. And then when he says the leg hurts, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to go amputate hurt quick because I don't quit the hurt. You say, well, maybe let's you know take an X-ray if it's broke, or take an MRI if my knee hurts, or something like that. You kind of want the doctor to do a little deeper dive before he decides what to do to you, and that's really what that what that grid sample represents is a deeper dive into that field of what can we do to make a very very accurate rec to help you take advantage of all those acres out there i mean that's you know like i said if you went into a doctor that's what you'd hate to have him you know just start trying things first and eventually yeah sometimes they do have to try things because we can't figure it out but man, that's, you, know, you want to do that first, get that deeper dive first. Yeah, that's a pretty good
0: analogy. When you go into a doctor's office, they're going to run some tests, they're going to ask you some questions because they've got some training on what different things mean, and that's what the grid sample does for us. It's a lot like running tests and asking the soil questions of, you know, what are your problems, not just, well, I think I need phosphorus, right? It's been a while since I limed. Let's go ahead and lime again. Um, ask the soil what's going on. And a lot of times it'll tell you. And you know, another thing about grid sampling is you can combine that information coming from the grid samples with a good yield map, and look to see where you're seeing correlations. You know, where I'm getting good yield, or what's going on with that soil. Now, sometimes it'll tell you kind of the opposite of what you think. It'll show you lower fertility. And that goes back to crop removal, right? I mean we don't remove the same amount of nutrients across a field on every single acre. Every acre yields a little different, takes off a little bit different amount of nutrients, and that's something that the grid sampling helps us identify as well.
1: Oh absolutely. Absolutely. It helps us identify where those spots maybe were taking more, taking less. Um, you know, kind of back to that doctor analogy again. Every, you know, the MRI, the x-ray, says the same thing. Sometimes a doctor has a different way. Each one, from their experiences, have a different way they may decide to set something, or they may decide to do something, just from their experiences. So that's part of the the key to this, too, is that's a set of numbers, but they're just numbers. Yeah. yeah. it's You still have to correlate that back to a philosophy and correlate it back to something that's gonna make the grower money. And so that's really what you that's that's where the magic of it happens. And like you said, you combine that with looking at a yield map, making sure that we don't sacrifice topping yield while chasing some of our lower problems. But we wanna make sure if there's an opportunity, get the fertility correct, then maybe we decide there's spots we don't want to do anymore on the fertility. But maybe there's some other spots we do. We gotta get the fertility right first. We don't want that to be our limiting factor and then go chasing a whole bunch of other things wrongly, basically. When you're grabbing grid samples, so we talked a little bit about pH, we talked a
0: little bit about phosphorus. What other things do you want to learn when you're pulling grid samples? What other tests do you want to make sure the lab covers?
1: Um, you know, we want to test for potash. Um, we're seeing some nice things happen, and now, even in some very high testing potash, we, we want to make sure that we're Looking at that because we are seeing some responses in different cases on potash. Um, CEC mm-hmm. gives us kind of a nice little insight into the soil, um, gives us an idea of how much nitrogen we can hold, how heavy is that soil, um, just kind of gives us maybe some little management tricks. Um, I think also another important one is base saturation because that gives us just little pieces, mm-hmm. you know. You still got your main three, nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, and pH. I guess that's four, yeah. but all those other pieces add a little bit
0: of the flavor. Let's so go know. back to CC. You mentioned irrigation. I think about that one a lot too. That's one of the values of grid sampling right there. That you know, cation exchange capacity really relates to the texture of the soil. And if you got a sand in one area of the field that's that's a conversation you really want to have with the grower and grid sampling unlocks
1: some of those secrets shows you something there that you may not have thought of before exactly if you got a little sand spot in the field or you got something there it may maybe we need to look at managing our nitrogen differently you know we may need to look at more split applications going fertigation those type of things um cc just gives you an idea of what that soil, what we can expect out of that soil, too. Maybe, you know, a sand we just have to manage totally different so we can look at it again. That adds that flavor to those are numbers, but how I manage it is totally can be totally different. You know, and I go back in history, you know, go back 50
0: years and, you know, I'm 50 years old. Well, when my grandfather, was managing our farm and he was making a living off of 160 or 300 acres. Well, he knew those spots because he drove that little, you know, uh, in my grandfather's case, uh, Alice Chalmers C across that ground multiple times. So he would know um, those little areas like that. But, you know, so many growers now are farming, you know, 8, 10, 15, 20 quarters. And they just don't have the time to spend all that time going across the ground. And now, you know, you're going across that with a 24 row planter and a a 12 or 16 row corn head or a 40 foot bean table you're just not seeing all the variation while you're out there with the equipment that they would have, you know, 50 years ago. And here's where grid sampling can bring a little of that back to you, is now you get a look at that actual, that soil core. We do some lab analysis on it. We get to figure out kind of what that soil is like, both from a fertility standpoint and from a structural standpoint. And we can bring some of the things that our grandfathers were able to do, you know, on a sub-acre basis back to the grower with a conversation, with a map. You know, we still use big equipment, but we can make small decisions to maximize his yield
1: on every acre. That's exactly right. Same reason why we had to move rock piles several times is because we moved the rock piles into the fences because that was pasture because it wouldn't raise anything. Well, we get water. Now it's another conversation because that was our limiting factor at that time. Well, now it isn't, so now we got to look at fertility again, like you said, you get that little spots out there that 50 years ago those guys they weren't going to raise anything so they made sure it was pasture well yep. now we're going to try raising something and that's those are just the things that the grid sample starts to unlock for us so we can manage those spots and help you know help with the bottom line on those so yeah you're exactly right that just unlocks all of that potential yep so this
0: time in the show, we normally uh, share a little funny farm story, and uh, my dad and I worked together in the shop a lot in the winters, you know, growing up on the farm, and uh, we'd buy buy older equipment, fix it up. You know, this was back in the 80s, and, and there just wasn't a budget to go to the dealer and buy everything new. We pulled a few things out of the weeds, either from our farm or from other people's farms, and, and spent a lot of time in, in the shop in the winter, and uh, had a pretty decent shop, uh, had a wood burning stove, so you could tell when we were in there the smoke, uh, you know, the smoke from the chimney and all. So anyway, we're there working one day, and we lived, you know, kind of off the highway a bit. You know, it's a good mile off, of just a little small two lane, so not a lot of traffic, not a lot of visitors. Anyway, one day we're there working, and I hear, you know, tires on the snow, and it, you know, kind of announces someone's coming up the driveway. So I take a peek out the window in the shop door, and uh, and uh, it's a hearse. You know, we don't get a hearse in our shop every day. So anyway, I turned to my dad, who's over the other end of the shop working, and I said, hey dad, you feeling okay? And he's like, what? I said, you feeling okay? He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, hearse just pulled up. <laughs> so he <laughs>, laughs. Well, of course, he knows that this hearse has just pulled up. Pretty soon there's a knock on the door. I walk over there and I open the door and this guy walks in. He's all in a, a suit and everything, you know, looks like he's headed into a funeral. And my dad just straight face looks at him and goes, you're early. <laughs> and that poor guy just has no idea what to say. He said he's looking for a little country church out in the middle of nowhere. The body is in the car in the driveway. He's, He's late to the funeral for this poor guy with the body. And, and you know, he's been driving around, and he, he knows pulling a hearse into a farm lot, he's going to get crap. And he sure did. When my dad goes you're early, the guy's just like, oh. <laughs> like, hey, I'm looking for Walnut Grove Church. Could you help me out, please? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the moral of the story is thank God for cell phones now you can punch it in there and you don't have to wait for the farmer comedian's new lines as you pull the hearse into the driveway.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so back to grid sampling. So you know, we talked about we talked about pH, we talked about phosphorus, talked a little bit about potassium. I know uh, you know, we do a little bit of look at sulfur and zinc. What do you think of those two as you're as you're looking at uh, at that grid sample? Do You do a lot of work with those, or is it kind of more just frosting on the cake? S-
1: sulfur is kind of just frosting on the cake, with it being a mobile nutrient. Um, you know that doesn't indicate much, and you know as we start looking more and more at tier three clean diesel, that type of stuff. That's how we were getting our sulfur. Yeah. So. We're not getting that from the air anymore so we've got to start even looking besides on the sands looking on the heavier ground at our sulfur needs um zinc you can you can help it you know we have some products you know chemically combined products and we can help that you know maybe we look at that a little bit but typically that's one that goes in a starter or goes in a pop-up band so they typically don't do a lot with the with the uh uh, grid samples, so, I yeah, like, more frosting, I guess. Yeah,
0: I like that zinc probably as much as anything to just tell me what the variation is so I can make a decision, okay, is this something I take care of with some kind of a, a broadcast where I've set a minimum of, say, mez to get a good amount of zinc out there? Is it something I talk to the grower about? Hey, if you're set up for starter, let's get zinc in there, or if neither of those two things are really fit, well, then the micro bin, you know, maybe, maybe some zinc sulfate, but you need the data to make the decision. It's not like it's a driver. I mean, the main driver for grids pH and phosphorus by far, but since we're out there anyway, well, let's get zinc and then make some decisions off of it,
1: right? Exactly right. I mean, we've worked, we've got the cores, we've got the We've got it going into the lab anyway already, so let's let's get the data so we can make some more decisions because we we have seen some things every once in a while that we can help with with some extra zinc or something. So yeah, it it really doesn't hurt anything to have it on there. It, it just adds some more flavor to it. Exactly right. Yep.
0: So one thing I think about when I have you here on the show, Jason, is you've spent a lot of time writing fertilizer equations and, and making... You know we we get all this data and it's good data and it shows us the variation but what do we do with it so you know we'll leave lime out of it but when you're thinking about phosphorus especially what are you thinking about when you write an equation for a guy and, and how you how you manage those ups and downs
1: well i mean the first thing you think about is talking to the grower because it isn't just a set equation it isn't just a set mindset because each grower themselves has kind of a different philosophy. They want, depends on if they own it, if they rent it. Maybe they've got some access to manure. Maybe they've got access to something else. Maybe they're, you know, it, it all depends. I mean, some guys, if they, they have certain ways that they want to do it, like I said, if they own it, they want to make sure that that roller coaster doesn't go down too far. Um, other guys may say, you know what? We can do a little bit different here because I'm, you know, I'm not going to have it in four or five years, or maybe they will. You know, it just it just depends on kind of their philosophies. Um, the one thing about it is is nutrients in the soil. You know, when they're in mobile nutrients, that's just like putting money in the bank. That they're not going to go anywhere. They're gonna help you. I mean, maybe they won't help you the first year, but they're sitting there and they're gonna help and they're gonna help drive yield so that's the biggest thing for those guys to think about you know the other thing like you said kind of avoiding the roller coaster a little bit um you know when we first started this deal 20 some years 25 years ago you know the first idea everybody had was well i'm gonna make everything be 20 parts per million foss and that was probably that was the first iteration of selling grid sampling and that was probably furthest from the truth because we got spots that are going to produce spots that don't produce according to our yield maps and a lot of times those drivers are inverse Um, where the where the phosphorus is low is where the yield was high but like i said we don't want to make sure that we bring up those low yieldings we don't want to eliminate you know put a floor on those spots because we might be able to raise corn on them so that's just something to think about you don't want to have the whole like you said have the whole you know roller coaster because that's something you can get on too and some of that's just even you know kind of year-to-year variability um you know that's what makes kind of having a history going back looking through grid samples looking through that you know you can kind of pick out some outliers you can kind of you know, say, well, you know what, this was a bizarre year. We were in a drought, and so our our nutrient samples were just bizarre. Or if we're in a really wet year, you know, you can kind of start to see some trends, too. And that's the biggest thing you can start looking at, too, is, well, what am I doing over this past 8, 12, 10, 12 years? Is, am I growing it? You know, is it going more? Is it going less? So that's, that's also the big thing to, to watch on that roller coaster deal. Yeah you know you've shown me a neat uh, tool
0: that we have with our field reveal software when you can lay two grids from two different years up against each other and then just go compare you know what happened in this area over here versus where we're at now. So you know I I wrote an equation here's what we did here's what we applied what happened between that uh, you know four years ago and today or eight years ago and today are we going the right direction and that's That's one thing, and I'm glad you brought that up. That's one thing we don't talk enough about in grid sampling is once we get that variation that we see spatially kind of handled or at least get a handle on it so we kind of know what's there, we can also look at uh, uh, variation uh, over time or temporally. And as we see that, we develop trend lines and it helps us decide is the equation that I'm using meeting this grower's goals or is it not? Do I need to switch to something else? And another good point you just brought up is you gotta talk to that grower and know that grower in his situation and there was a time maybe five, six years ago, where there was a big push that all this stuff was going to be done at a national level. There was going to be a black box somewhere, and all this data was going to go in there, and it was going to kick these recommendations out, and these were going to be the end-all, be-all of fertility and seeding and chemical recommendations, and it was really missing boots on the ground and knowledge of that grower situation and i think that's a key thing that we bring here is we bring people to meet that grower and to get to know them and to work with them and to develop a relationship and work for them and not just the black box you know solution
1: that's that's just invaluable i mean that really is because like i said each one of the growers has got different goals um are they you know I know everybody talks about that, whether it be, you know, football or whether it be whatever, but each one of those growers has that and what they're looking at and what they what they want to do. So, you know, they they have what they want to, to accomplish. And that may be very different than if you send a soil sample off to somewhere out of the state of Nebraska, you get a, somebody shoves it back and emails it to you and says, "This is this is what it belongs there." That isn't that isn't necessarily true because yeah. again, numbers are numbers, and where the magic happens is how somebody looks at those numbers. Again, goes back to the X-rays. Um, you could have one doc, two doctors, look at an X-ray and decide they, from their training or their experience. Um, they want to do something totally different. They'll probably come to the end result somewhat similar, but they'll be different. And so that's that part of it is just a huge, huge right. distinguishing that, that I think the advanced cropping systems brings to the table is that piece right there that bringing that grower back in and saying, does this look right? You know, does this make sense? Does it meet what you want it to meet right? What's our history? What's our trend? Where are
0: we going? And, and that's a big thing too. Once you start working with a grower, you really want to keep that going because you know you'll occasionally get growers that'll go to, you know, they'll go to their seed dealer, and then they'll go work with their cooperative, and then they'll maybe go work with some other retailer, and then they'll maybe go work with a advisor, you know, an independent consultant, and they'll move that data and, and samples from one to the other to the other they're probably losing half the value of it because the trend lines are so important. And as you switch laboratories and you switch softwares and you switch, you know, the guy across the table from you and what his philosophy is in fertilizer application, you're just losing the continuity. You wouldn't do that with your doctor. And I I would encourage guys not to do that with their agronomist either.
1: Well, and like somebody once told me one time, and I've taken this with me, soil don't read books. Yeah and you know there's always going to be some outliers in there that you're trying to figure out or and because it doesn't read books it's all a theory and we like the theory we are pretty confident in it but there's still going to be some so if you're looking at instead of look if you're looking at a snapshot in time and not a trend then maybe that's one of those deals where the soil didn't read the book and it went way wacky for some reason because we had more micro you know micro activity or we had a warm winter or a cold winter or something like that so crop failure just all kinds of crazy things that can happen
0: so with that I think we'll uh, close out our session here on grid sampling but Jason we're going to continue this discussion into another episode and we're going to talk about zone sampling and guys always talk about grids or zones We're gonna talk about both. I mean, we've already covered grids pretty well here, but as far as I'm concerned, these don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can bring data from both pieces in, and we're gonna have a conversation about that. And then we're gonna talk about a little bit you know, some of the future of Precision Ag. So I know you're kind of on cutting edge with what you do in the Mapping Center. You know, we've got our own software. You see a lot of different things. You push a lot of things beyond just soil testing, and you move into seeding and hybrids and verbrate nitrogen, and you're doing a lot of work with moisture probes and verbrate irrigation. So we'll move that in with the next segment. So with Jason Cook here at Central Valley Ag, this is Tim Mundorf, and this has been Soil Talk. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our Precision Focus blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf.